Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Welcome to Fresh Steak. This is Juan Carlos Rodriguez with Florida Organic Growers. Appreciate everyone joining and listening to our podcast. Today, we have with us uh, Dr. Katie Sieving from the University of Florida. We're very lucky to have Katie with us, and we're going to have a very interesting conversation about birds in your gardens and how to attract them. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. How did you get started in this field and what made you decide that you wanted to work with birds? That's a good question. That's going way back. So <laughs> I was in, uh, in graduate school really interested in conservation, conservation and management of ecological lands. And I took a lot of classes in birds and the first jobs that I got out of school were having to do with birds after I graduated with my, my undergraduate degree from UC Davis. And um, so when I did go to graduate school, I decided that's really what I wanted to work on was birds just because I knew them, but also because birds are everywhere. They're mobile, they're cognitively competent, they're quite smart, and they respond quickly to what's going on in their environment. So they're very good canaries in the coal mine, basically, if you want to look at it that way, they respond really quickly to changes in their environment. So they're really excellent study creatures for understanding what's happening. So in your field and as a professor, and do you find that people in general, I think, enjoys birds? And, and what are some of the things that you would say attracts us to either watching birds or trying to identify birds or, or even attracting birds to, you know, to your gardens or to your homes? Well, one of the reasons that humans are so attracted to birds is because birds see and listen to the world in a very similar way to humans. They have the same hearing range and their eyes, while they're much more sensitive to color than ours are, they're very sensitive to all the same color ranges that we are. So that means when a bird wants to stand out to other birds, they sing and they have evolved plumages that are attractive to other birds. And that just makes them naturally attractive in both of those modes to us. We love to look at them because they're pretty and we love to listen to them because, well, most of the time <laughs> they sing in a way that's very attractive. Mm -hmm. The other day I was, I was talking to my dad, love, love hummingbirds. And, you know, they live in South Florida and they have a hard time, he, he says, attracting uh, hummingbirds. Even though they have, you know, hibiscus and all sorts of flowers in their backyard, they live in a condo, but it's, you know, a very small backyard where they can put some of these flowers. He says, I never see them. I used to see them all the time and now I can't see them. Any reason why you think that is, is happening? Maybe if there's a decline of, of hummingbirds, but I do know that sometimes things change in a person's yard and uh -huh. the, they're very attracted to specific flowers and plants. And it may be that maybe the neighbor has better flowers this year and <laughs> over there. They're very affected by the local availability of nectar, which is a really transitory resource, you know, so if they don't find what they want. They move on to somebody else's yard. I'm going to make sure that I tell him to listen to this podcast because that's exactly, well, not exactly, but I told him, well, I, maybe, you know, your neighbor has better flowers than you do. 
or they're just not going to travel as far to, you know, come to you because they're finding either more abundance than the one hibiscus that you have at home. So yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. The other thing that I also like, and again, they, they love uh, hummingbirds right in front of my apartment. Um, I, every morning, just like on the clock, I hear a woodpecker that I couldn't find for the longest time. I finally found him because I just, I, I would hear him. And there, there's probably a couple of them around because I can hear one, you know, down the street a little bit further. Do woodpeckers travel together like some birds do? Most woodpeckers are not migratory. Some, some are, but they don't usually move as far as the little songbirds do mm-hmm. or the hummingbirds. So what you do here, though, is they're on their own territories when they're around in the spring, they defend their own territories. And some of the territories can be quite close to each other. And unfortunately, that drumming is one of the things that can sometimes really annoy people because (laughs) the the woodpeckers will go on your house. One of their favorite places to drum is your gutter pipes. Uh One of the reasons for that is that it makes such a big noise. Mm -hmm. If you're a woodpecker banging on a something metal or a soffit or a a drain pipe, you sound like a bigger, badder woodpecker than the guy next door. Uh So they actually seek out your house, parts of your house that reverberate so that it makes them really just sound like, you know, big bad boys. (laughs) What is the reason for them doing that then? Well, birds are like any other animal, really. Males try to attract mates Mm -hmm. and the sort of bigger, louder and stronger they appear, they can uh, be more effective at getting mates and defending their territory. A little woodpecker that's nearby who hears that big noise might not try to challenge that particular guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I've always been interested in, how do we identify birds? I mean, it's one thing when we can actually see them, but in terms of either their song, in this particular case, you know, anyone would probably be able to recognize, you know, the sound of a woodpecker, you know, hitting on a tree or, or something similar to that. What are some of the other ways that they can identify, you know, sort of the common birds that are around? Well, I spent some time recently in the last few years with some folks who study the ancient art of wildlife tracking. And these trackers tell us that the way they always learn is you sit and you watch a Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. So what they recommend is a wonderful little book called What the Robin Knows by a man named John Young, who has done lots of this interpretation of these uh, African trackers and other people in other continents who spend a lot of time tracking and really know how to find animals because they know all the signs. This little book will give people an introduction to the idea of becoming a really good observer of not only the colors and the sounds of the birds, but also just their behaviors. So what they recommend is that you pick a spot in your garden on your farm, wherever you can do that safely on a repeated basis and someplace where you will go on a repeated basis. So it can't be too far away from where you spend most of your time. Find a place that they call the sit spot. Get yourself set up, get comfortable and just settle in every day for a few minutes or an hour. Sometimes it might end up being a couple of hours. It just depends for you how engaged you get and begin to take notes on where you see different behaviors of different birds happening around you. And what you'll see is a lot of regularity happening from one day to the next. You'll also become sensitive to seasonal changes and how the birds sound and who's around and what they're doing. 
And so it's through that process of watching your own birds, you will learn so much about birds, how they react to their environments, what they think is important, what they're afraid of, what they love to eat. And just that process there is the natural process whereby we learn about what birds we have, what they're doing, and how much we like them or dislike them, actually. Mm -hmm. So I guess that probably gets us into the question of why are birds so important, especially for you know, those people that you know, have a garden. I know that some people sort of don't want to have certain birds if they have certain types of plants. And if you have blueberries or other fruits or seeds that birds like, but then there are the birds that are beneficial, correct? And that perhaps we want to have around our gardens. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that was um, when I first came here to Florida back in the 90s, I had a PhD student who was very interested in looking at the positive effects of birds on small organic and sustainable farms in Alachua County and several other counties around. His name is um, Greg Jones, by the way, mm -hmm. and he is a professor at Santa Fe College and uh, has been there for years now. Mm -hmm. So Greg set out to understand what some of these benefits could be. So knowing what you just said, some crops actually attract birds that are, well, quite annoying for the farmers and costly. So we focused on vegetable farms. So any kind of a leafy green crop that uh, normally has a lot of insects as a pest, as pests, so uh, caterpillars and grasshoppers and other things that can really eat the leaves, the leaves of your, your plants. So, you know, leafy green vegetables like kale and collards and all those goodies, these guys are attacked by the insects and birds that we documented, there are a number of birds that get into those fields and eat the insects right off the leaves. Mm -hmm. as they're beginning to attack them. And so this was at the small farm scale. But after we identified the best insect pest eaters on those farms, I began to notice the same birds were in my yard cleaning up my little garden. And so perhaps the top pest muncher of all time that we documented out on these farm fields was the cardinal, the northern cardinal, the bright red bird that mm -hmm. everybody's got. And they also can reach very high densities and be very, very common. So at this time of year, you know, I've got probably six or seven pairs of different cardinals that come into my yard fighting over space and food and everything else. But as my crops grow, and especially when the sprinklers come on, you'll see a lot of birds going into the garden to uh, both wash and drink and find any insects that they can while they're in there. Mm -hmm. So along with them, eastern bluebirds are also quite good at eating pests. Mm -hmm. And almost any other species that's coming by that primarily eats insects will do a really good job if you've attracted them to your yard. Then they'll do a really good job keeping your leafy green vegetables safe. Mm -hmm. So we, we documented what we call these sort of functional insectivores. And Greg did this wonderful experiment with flower rows, intercrops. So an intercrop is a row of a crop that sort of goes right down the middle of a different crop. So we used tall sunflowers. We use sunflowers not because they attract the birds to the seeds of the sunflower, which they do later in the season, but a really tall species of sunflower, if you plant it pretty densely, creates a, a kind of a, a corridor for birds. They're almost like small trees when these really big sunflowers mature. Mm -hmm. And the cardinals love to go out there 
they'd go right into the center of a fairly large field as long as there was a long row of flowers leading them in there. Because the one thing about little birds you can always depend on is they're terrified of being attacked by a hawk, eaten <laughs> by something. So they always need cover, the little birds especially, they need cover. So these flowers provided perfect cover for them to get out right out in the middle of the vegetable fields. And then they would make small forays into the fields and, and eat the insects right off the leaves. Wow. So diversity of, of plants is certainly a way to bring in more birds and to satisfy the different functions that the birds are looking for, not only food, but also protection, cover, places to put their nests and so forth. Mm -hmm. That was what our research mainly yielded was a, a list of the top pest munchers, <laughs> birds that would get into the crops and eat the insects that the farmers really didn't like. And then we did that manipulation with the sunflowers and it was um, really kind of spectacular to go out there and go bird watching in the sunflower rows because everything that would normally not very venture very far from the forest, there were a lot of species out there using those flowers to get into the vegetable fields and eat bugs. Mm -hmm. And is that information that from, from that research is still available? People can find this articles or reports on some of these things? Yes. If you look at the UF IFAS website, there's uh, some extension publications that we wrote about that. Mm -hmm. Part of that study also was a survey of farmers' views of birds on their farms. Mm -hmm. And the farmers that we worked with, all of them, whether they were conventional or, or organic farmers, everybody loved the birds. They love having birds on their farm. And mm -hmm. numbers of farmers would do things like put out nest boxes, swallow boxes, and things like that for the, for, to attract different birds that they liked. Mm -hmm. But the organic farmers really understood what we came to know, and that was that the birds in leafy green vegetables, obviously, the only thing they do is good things because the birds do not eat the leafy greens mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know but if a farmer has mostly vegetables and a row of strawberries well protecting those strawberries from the birds becomes something that they they have to think about because mm -hmm. the birds there aren't very many animals out there that would pass a strawberry by <laughs> correct right so you know, you have to give them some credit that they love all the same things that we do. There's a lot yeah. of birds that eat the blueberries and everything else. But yeah, that's very interesting. And, and one of the things, as you mentioned, uh, especially when it comes to either organic farmers or people who you know have a small organic garden, immediately, you know, um, they start appreciating the uh, biodiversity and, and, you know, not just, you know, um, in all the different plants uh, and um, beneficial insects sometimes, and in this case, birds, which in fact, it is part of, for those farmers that listen to our podcast, biodiversity and maintaining biodiversity as part of the organic regulations. So, you know, during the annual inspections that, you know, they have to go through, one of the things the organic inspectors watch for are these things, you know, is there, you know, birds in the farm, I, you know, is there, you know, an evidence of, of this biodiversity? Because that, as we know, especially with books, you know, like Silent Spring and some of the other things is, you know, when people have been using pesticides for years, you know, a lot of those things, a lot of those birds and a lot of the beneficiaries, you're not going to find them. So what about strategies? that, you know, gardeners and, and people who have their farms can use to prevent some of the birds that are going to be eating, you know, the strawberries, as you mentioned, or the blueberries. I know that here in town in Gainesville, over there by, you know, the Horticultural Sciences Department, they used to use uh, sound 
to have birds not come to the groves. Is that effective? Is that something that you that you've seen, or is there any evidence that they, that they're you know those strategies are indeed effective? Uh, yes, so they they can be effective. In fact, we have a project right now. We're actually doing some experimentation. We'll be starting it soon with some lasers. So <laughs> these laser units that um, people can set up that that are meant to be a distraction. Really, it sort of I guess flashes in the bird's eyes, and it can distract them from foraging. And the sounds also will be a distracting thing that sort of surprises them. And when a bird gets surprised, their reaction is to jump and fly just because, like I said, all small birds are terrified of being eaten all the time. So <laughs> they're just re- generally very jumpy animals, but they're also blessed with a pretty incredible intelligence and um, habituation is a real problem with most of these techniques. So if you just set your your poppers or your other sounds on a kind of a, a loop tape, the birds learn the loop tape real fast and <laughs> they, they just begin to ignore it. So just like anything else, I mean, you know how you can be studying and tuning out an enormous amount of noise on a freeway nearby or your roommates having a party. These are the things that the birds can learn to do as well. So I think the key with these sorts of distractive sort of scaring devices that people use is to mix it up, keep it unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're hoping the lasers would, will be a good addition to the mix just because, well, the sounds can really annoy your neighbors too. So, you know, you have to be a little bit careful uh, how you use <laughs> things. Right. So especially in your, if you have a small yard in the town, I wouldn't be using a big mega popper to get the birds out of your yard. But correct. Yeah. I think the, the major point is to just know that if you're going to be attracting a lot of birds, they also like some of these things that really have no defenses like blueberry, blueberries and any of the berries. And I was out there, uh, my neighbor has a loquat tree that's fruiting right now. And oh, everything was in there. There was a woodpecker hanging on barely <laughs> trying to get the last juicy bit out of a loquat. And then there were Oh, cedar wax wings and uh, a number of other birds in there as well. And they didn't even move when I went in the tree to, to harvest some fruits. You know, they're all just like, join the crowd. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're, I think that if you have a crop that's really high value that you're trying to protect in terms of blueberries, I know the only thing that we know is 100% effective is, is netting them. And mm-hmm. of course, that's or, or um, some growers will just say, well, Let's get the pickers in there while the birds are starting to become interested in it. Let's just pick faster than the birds can. And then when you're out there picking, the birds tend to leave you alone because they don't really mm. fight with humans. So, right. yeah. you know, it, it's all a matter of, I think, keeping tabs on it and mm-hmm. deciding how much effort you want to put into keeping them out. Right. I was wondering, you know, entomologists <clears throat> actually use trap crops to prevent the bugs, the pests from jumping to the cash crop. That, but that's, those are insects. And so I was wondering, you know, if that would work with certain types of birds. But like you said, and, and I completely agree, who's going to ignore or give up the opportunity to eat some strawberries and, and, and blueberries? It just sometimes I think it's maybe even deciding that you're just going to have to share it with the, with the birds and hope that they don't eat everything that you have. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, one little story is, you know, I have fig trees in my yard, and I just absolutely love June in Florida because of the figs. Mm-hmm. Also, the squirrels and the birds. So, 
I have this agreement with them is that in June, I go to the tree at dawn every <laughs> day and I check to see where the ripest figs are. So there are some insects that might have gotten to them overnight, but I'm there by the time the birds wake up or the squirrels. So I get in there first and then I let them forage for the rest of the day. But um, you just have to get in there and compete if, if that's the deal. Right, right, exactly. Are there any particular advice and suggestions that you would give or typically give to you know, gardeners in Florida about some of the things that we've been discussing, you know, how to identify, you know, the, the birds and, and attract them to your garden? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a, I would go right to a, a bookstore. It depends what you like. Okay. If you're really into your, your smartphone, then there are tons of wonderful apps that you can get that will help you to learn the birds as you bird. Uh, I could give you a whole long list of them, but, um, but in terms of identification guides with lots of natural history that you can read about, there's a, an app called iBird Pro that was created by Cornell Labs, uh, Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology. There are wonderful resources at that. Their website is just loaded with great resources as well. The Audubon also, I, I also serve on the board of Alachua Audubon Society. And mm. There is no faster way to learn the local birds than to go on the field trips that local Audubon chapters will run. When I have a new graduate student whose birding skills are a little rusty, I just say, all right, well, you go out every field trip with the Audubon Society, which in some seasons is, you know, every week you can go to two or three here in Alachua County. Mm -hmm. Get on out there and go with good birders and they'll point out everything. Mm -hmm. In a couple of three weeks, and, uh, you know, they can get really, really good after just a couple of times in a field with a really good birder. Um, you can learn a lot. But then, you know, if you don't like the apps, there's tons of wonderful field guides that are designed in different ways. If you're a rank beginner, like you only just discovered that a bird was different than something else in the world, then you get wanted to get you want to get a, a bird book that doesn't have very many birds, but that's also you know, really focused on where you live because the species vary a lot across the country. Mm -hmm. But most people evolve past that pretty quickly. So a good Audubon field guide or the National Geographic has a good guide. Uh, just go to your bookstore and pick one up, see how it feels in your hand and, and see how, what you like using. And uh, same goes for binoculars. If you really get into birding, you should go to uh, a big box store and try all the different models and powers and see which one really feels the best to you. And then maybe order one or buy one that, that uh, satisfies your needs. But being able to, to have a book or an app and uh, in your eyeballs, and uh, certainly binoculars can really help, especially if you have a field of any size, you might want to look in the middle of the field to see who those birds are out there. Right. Well, we have gotten really interesting and useful information today, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast and you know we certainly are going to be looking out for those birds and you know following some of the suggestions that you have given us as a final note information for farmers or people where they can you know go to your website and find out more about the work that you do uh sure if you go to the department of wildlife ecology and conservation website and look up my website i have some things there on uh farming and birds but just in general, I think that over the years, UFIFAS has some materials in their information sheets, their uh, extension sheets that might be of interest to you. Lots of things on controlling birds and things like blueberries and other crops that people are trying to protect from birds. Mm -hmm. If you're growing a grain, then of course, everything likes grains and fruits. 
And so those issues are dealt with fairly regularly in those kinds of materials. Yeah. So, you know, birds are incredibly popular. And if you're having a problem with birds, go to the, go to Wild Birds Unlimited and talk to Bubba about, you know, what he thinks and what he's heard of, because people like that will know everyone who knows everything about anything about birds in the local community is you go to the local birding store and ask around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, birding is super popular and it's actually become even more popular over the pandemic because what was one of the things that people could do is get outside and go see birds. So hopefully if you have property, that's something that you can do on a daily basis as well. Get your book and get some basic ID skills and then go spend time watching what the birds are doing on your farm. And chances are you'll figure things out as to where to plant what to keep it safe from from birds. You might be able to separate those crops that benefit from the activities of birds from those that don't necessarily benefit so much or by the trap crop idea. Mostly I think farmers and homeowners with a little bit of observation will know exactly what they need to do. Great. Thank you so much again for joining us today. We really, really love having you. To all of our listeners, thank you also for tuning in to our Fresh State podcast. Uh, we will be recording more episodes in the coming weeks, so please tune in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. Thank you very much, Juan Carlos. This has been really fun. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 